It's uh, good to be with you all this morning. Uh, I bring uh, greetings from St. Columbus Free Church in Edinburgh, uh, where um, uh, I'm working, and it's, uh, it's good, to, uh, good for them to get a break, to be honest, and uh, uh, good for me also. It hasn't been sunny like this in Edinburgh for weeks, so Dundee's obviously got it. Um, it's also, uh, straight, you know, some when you come and preach somewhere else, unless you're a super minister, which I'm not, uh, you usually use an old sermon, okay? So I made that confession already. Uh, but the trouble is when you, you, you know, you pray about it and you think about what you're going to say and uh, what you think would be appropriate. But then you don't re- sometimes you don't realize uh, until you get there, until you get the bulletin sheet actually and you see the title of the sermon, uh, that it seems a bit of a weird title to bring to a vacant congregation, A Ministry Begins. Um, you know, there's... <laughs> There's no pitch there whatsoever, in case you're, in case you're wondering. Uh, it, it, it was the title that I had for the, the sermon in, in Edinburgh. We're doing a series on Matthew's Gospel, so j- please uh, just forget that stupidity on my part. But we're, we're going to look, at, in other words, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry uh, as it's recorded in Matthew's Gospel. And it, it's interesting, isn't it? 2,000 or so years after Jesus, and uh, we're still following him. Uh, we're still believing and trusting in Jesus. And globally, uh, it might not be the case in Scotland, we're always bemoaning as true doer Presbyterian Calvinistic Scots, uh, the, the negative side of things. Uh, but the gospel may not be growing in Scotland at a great pace, but globally Christianity last year grew by 1.27% in the world. There are 2.5 billion Christians in the world uh, m- most of you here, I imagine, have committed your life to Jesus Christ. Uh, many of you will have anyway. And I've devoted my life to telling people uh, about Jesus as a preacher, stumbled and failed many times, but nonetheless, 30 years on, still uh, doing that because uh, of his grace and goodness. Um, and those of us who are Christians here want those of you who are not Christians here to follow Jesus Christ more than anything else in the whole world. That's the most significant thing for us. But why, why do we follow Jesus and why do we keep following Jesus? Because it's tough. It's not, a, it's not an easy sell uh, asking people to follow Jesus in the world and the society in which we live. The prospects for being a Christian in, in Scotland are not really very good. Uh, they're not very positive. Um, we're moral and ethical pariahs in the society in which we live. We're ridiculed and sidelined by many people because of our beliefs. Um, The educational and the professional elite would have Christianity squeezed at best into the private lives of those who uh, profess to believe it. Privatized, in a sense, into oblivion, really, I think. Um, I think Jesus' diagnosis of our hearts and of our lives, the dysfunction of who we are, and the reality of our future without him uh, makes the uh, gospel uh, dubious good news for many people. And uh, we need to recognize that. The teaching of heaven and hell, of Satan and angels, so unscientific, so irrational, uh, so not needed in the secular and uh, advanced society in which we live, or so at least we're told. What is it about Jesus uh, that makes so many people still throughout the world change the course of their lives and follow him 
and even die for him. We might not think that is a reality for us here in sophisticated Scotland, but it will be a reality for many people today. How, who, what is it about Jesus that it takes uh, his truth and it, it turns uh, their lives and our lives around so dramatically? Now, what, do we, what do we learn about Jesus from this passage uh, that was read to us earlier uh, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, um, and from uh, verse 17? Uh, Jesus, sorry, from verse 12, uh, Jesus begins to preach. And so when, when we come to this section, we, we recognize that it's, it's entering a new phase of Jesus' ministry, really. Uh, there's been his birth and his baptism and then his temptation. And now uh, we're told uh, that he moves into Galilee. And really, in many, in many senses, he is bursting into the same large crowds, we're told at the end of the chapter, from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Um, and we need to remember uh, the context of that. Uh, it's, it's not like he just pinged out of nowhere. Uh, there, was, there is a context and there's a background to it, uh, not least among his own people, the Jewish people who were expecting a Messiah um, and were there was whispering and talking about a coming Messiah and uh, uh, it was beginning to ripple around the whole area that maybe Jesus was the guy who was to be the Messiah. Uh, We see the uh, recent interaction uh, with uh, John in chapter 3 and the baptism of uh, Jesus in John chapter 3 and also in the Gospel of John that you get a bit more detail about that pre-launch stage, if, it, uh, if you can call it that, uh, where uh, John and Jesus and, and uh, the, this, the pre-disciple disciples are speaking uh, with Jesus. And so what we're seeing, we're beginning to see is a, a, an unfolding plan. And we see Jesus uh, revealing himself. Now, so so there, he, there was an expectation that Jesus would come. But I think even in this chapter, we begin to recognize and see that the, G- the Messiah, Jesus, that is the Son of God, even by this stage was very different to the Messiah, Jesus, that the people of God were expecting from the Old Testament. No time really to go into that. But he was all, really always the revelation of Jesus in the Gospels reveals Jesus as shockingly different. He was always different from people's expectations. And I don't think we should lose sight of that. We, uh, I think sometimes we just tame Jesus so much and we're coming, because we come out with our own idea, our, our own knowledge of the Gospels, we think, well, of course that's how Jesus came and that's, that's what he was like. But he was very, he was shockingly different. And as uh, the more we come to know Jesus, the more we will find him shockingly different from what we imagine. I think that's always a good thing to remember. Uh, that as believers, uh, we have a non, uh, and I mean this in a non-ecclesiastical and non-political way, we are non-conformists when we come to uh, be followers of Jesus Christ because he's radically different from any concept and idea of Messiahhood that we would naturally have. And uh, he will always shock us, I hope in a good way. Uh, the most damnable thing is to, to be dull, isn't it, in the in the pulpit and to be dull in our Christian lives and to drift along as if Jesus is just a kind of a, a piece of icing on a cake for us and that he's not this great 
Son of God in the flesh and God who comes to redeem and renew us. So there's a few things, just a couple. There's also obviously many, many things that we'll not look at today. But one or two things I just want to highlight about Jesus that reminds us why it is so great to follow him and how we mimic him in our lives. Uh, And the first thing I want to say is that uh, in this chapter, we see that Jesus is attracted to the darkness. Now, I want to clarify that statement uh, and explain what I mean, um, because it sounds a bit dodgy, really. Uh, But in verses 12 to 16, we have the coming of Jesus in Nazareth, uh, up by Zebulun and Naphtali, and it's a fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah, which says that he comes to Zebulun and Naphtali by the way of the sea along the Jordan Galilee. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. The kids address beautifully, uh, wove that into the service. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And uh, so uh, what happen- what's happening here is Jesus is taking over from John. Okay, We, uh, we hear um, that John is imprisoned by this stage. John is taken into prison. And uh, so it's as if Jesus takes over from John's uh, ministry in this very public way. Um, And there's a danger in doing that. John's seen as being seditious. And now Jesus is, as it were, uh, the follow-on from John, and he's taken his place. And there was a danger for him in going public. Now, I often thought that uh, Galilee, when you think of Galilee, I've, I've been there actually. Uh, cycled through it many, many years ago uh, to raise money for the Nazareth Hospital. Uh, but you kind of think of Galilee as a bit like kind of maybe Loch Ness or something, and nice rural, uh, hill, rolling hills and water and the odd little village here and there. Um, a rural backwater, maybe we think of Galilee. Lots of wee villages. But Josephus, the great... Uh, Jewish historian around at the time, uh, and from what we know from history, that actually that area of uh, the world was, uh, that area of the Middle East was, had f- at least four great cities and about 200 or so towns. It was heavily populated. They reckon r- around about a half a million people around that area. And it was an area that had been for many years in pagan hands and uh, had uh, was very a mixed race area. It was regarded as a bit rebellious, a bit seditious as an area, for, uh, certainly among the, the Jewish Puritans and the elite uh, from Jerusalem. And um, it was m- mainly Gentile, or, or, though there was, was Jews within it. Um, and that's where Jesus went to. And also, we learn from the passage, towards the end of the passage there, that his fame spread around at that time, and many came from the Decapolis. The Decapolis was these ten cities, Greco-Roman cities, that had been uh, really built and set up to house uh, retired Roman uh, soldiers and things like that. It was full of pagan idolatry and uh, worship and, and sexual license, and uh, there were real bohemians there. And they flocked to Jesus to hear Jesus from the Decapolis. And, and there's a really significant element in that for us as we understand Jesus. It's a hint into the heart and mind and the direction of Jesus' ministry. Because Jesus, when he calls Matthew in Luke 5.32, says, I've come to call not the righteous but sinners to repentance, not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. And, and that whole thing is, 
is a reflection of the ministry of Jesus that is drawn to the darkness of humanity because he sees our hearts. Who is Jesus most aggressive towards, if we can use that word, innocently aggressive towards in his life? It was to the religious, wasn't it? Those who, who maintained that they were good, who, did, who didn't see darkness in their own hearts, who thought they were righteous before God. That's who enraged him most in his controlled and perfect justice. And he, but he was moved by an unshakable love for the lost, the broken, and those who were in the dark and who sensed their darkness before him. And the gospel for us is always about recognizing Jesus as the great light, as he's prophesied here, who comes to a people living in darkness. And the truth uh, and love of God moves into the darkness of our sin and hearts and society. The, moral, the, the, the darker the moral darkness, the brighter Jesus shines. So very often, I think sometimes in our lives, and maybe, and I, I preach this at myself, as a covenant child brought up in the church, the light of Christ doesn't shine so bright because we think we're kind of okay and not that morally needy. But the, the paradoxical irony for me as a Christian for a long time is that the longer you're a Christian, the more his light shines into the, the darkest recess of our heart. And as, as, as we grow in faith, we feel darker and more sinful rather than brighter and less needy. And so there's, there's a kind of paradox and an irony in all of that, uh, that that is shocking to us. Uh, but that... It's not that there's some people darker than others in God's eyes in a sense because the reality is God wants us to all recognize that, that we need him and that the motives and that the direction and the greed and the lust and the pride and the ignorance of our own hearts is, is desperately dark. And he uses this as almost a, an insight and a symbol uh, to, towards that. He goes, and this prophecy goes to the exiled tribes, the northern tribes, uh, the first to uh, uh, plunge into idolatry uh, before uh, um, uh, the whole captivity happened. And now they're the first to hear and see Jesus. And so there's that sense in which Jesus is drawn to the darkness uh, and for us, I guess that means that the more we confess our hearts and the more we are open to our own uh, uh, need of Jesus, the more he comes into uh, our situation. The second thing I want to say about Jesus is that he had a trinity of influence uh, or, or spoken of here and obviously still does in this passage. Um, we're told in verse 23 that Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching and preaching and healing. And that, that is the beginning of the unfolding of the ministry of Jesus as uh, we have it uh, here in uh, the Gospels. He was a teacher, a preacher, and a healer. He taught, and there's a difference between these things. He's a teacher, in the, and that really primarily means that he brought truth to the people. Truth, and again, not just unique and revelatory truth about himself, but also truth that is unfolded from the Old Testament. 
He made that clear. He imparted knowledge and facts. He appealed to people's minds and to their reason. He explained who he was. He, he gave prophecies and unpacked them, and he spoke about the kind of savior he would be. But he also preached, and there's a, a nuance there. There's a difference between the teaching and the preaching. The preaching spoken of or proclaiming, as it is in the ESV that we read together, is proclaiming with a view, is, is teaching, is, is telling truth with a view to changing the will and moving the heart so that it becomes something passionate, persuasive, and effective, affective. Uh, it affects our lives and therefore becomes effective, I hope, also. And he brought this message. It wasn't just, you know, oh, here I am. This is prophecy. I'm Jesus. He said, repent. There was a call to action uh, in his preaching. It was a turning round. It's an unpalatable message that we needed to move from one way, one place to another, that we are sinners. Uh, as uh, Owen made clear in our prayer that we confess before the living God uh, and we are uh, in danger as we stand before the great justice of the King of Kings, his perfect justice. I think it's a useful thing um, to talk about good news in the context of the gospel. I think we sometimes make it, I, I did a, we did a seminar with our ministers in training and, and apprentices and we was talking about evangelism and I think it's important that we recognize that it's not ordinary good news it's not just good news like a baby or like a new house or like an engagement it's different good news it's unique good news because it's it's not news that people want there's a natural antipathy towards it because people are suppressing the knowledge of God and because it's good news that requires action and change and moving from our own um, opinion of ourselves to what God's opinion, which requires us therefore to repent, but also to accept his glorious grace and forgiveness and life and hope. So he's a preacher, a teacher, and also a healer. And we told here that he's healing every disease and sickness among the people uh, as they came to him. Very understated, really. The dramatic healings were a sign of his great ministry, proof of his divine origin, his power, and his message. Uh, and that sign towards uh, the outward healing, reminding the people of an inner healing uh, and a, a spiritual renewal and life that was coming from making right from the inside out. And uh, ultimately, uh, beyond uh, the physical, but there was the physical healing signing towards the great message that he has. And Jesus says to us today, you know, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, learn of me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And so we keep learning of him. And so we learn of him today and we learn of him uh, that we are those who respond to him both in our minds through the teaching, the moving of our will, you know, the renewing of our will, of our mind, of our intellect, of our rationale, but also the moving of our hearts through uh, the passion and power of uh, love. Uh, you know, how would you, if, if you didn't know this verse in the Bible, what, how, would you, how would you describe the fullness of God? How would we describe it? What is the fullness of God? All kinds of different ways of describing it. And New Testament Ephesians reminds us in that great prayer of Paul, Ephesians 3, the fullness of God is knowing his love. 
It's knowing the power of his love, the transforming power of his love, which affects uh, all that we are, the, the power of uh, our hearts being moved under uh, the truth of Jesus, the preacher, and the healing that comes from him. Sometimes it might be physical, but even if it, it is physical, there's still aging and death for us to face. A defeated death, certainly, but nonetheless, it's deeper than the physical healing, whether he chooses to or not, give us that. It's that, are you willing to be healed? Are you willing to allow his light to shine in the darkness of the poverty of who we are without him and allow him to, the pain of healing, uh, the beautiful pain of healing, the beautiful pain of being able to walk and talk uh, by his grace and by his goodness. So he had a trinity of influence. Um, Does anyone remember when I started preaching? Uh, Even more importantly, when do you normally stop? When? When? Quarter to one. Okay, no, I'm only joking. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, the third thing, I think, about Jesus uh, that we see here is that he gets, he gets up close and personal. So he gets up close and personal. Verse 19, uh, we're told uh, about Simon and Peter, uh, and he says, come, follow me. And uh, we're told, verse 22, immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. I don't know about you when you read that, but I know when I read that, uh, just at a glance, you think, that's just a bit stark. It's just a bit weird, this guy coming along and you, hey, come on, follow me. And they leave everything and follow him. And it just seems a bit weird. But it's because it's a fleeting summary for us of the reality of what was it. It's not, a, it's not an exhaustive account of the relationship that he had built with these disciples before he says this. We do find that in John's gospel, which has got slightly more details, uh, that he would have spent a lot of time with these guys. He already knew these people. They'd heard his preaching. Uh, He'd clearly interacted with them. He was the the gossip of the whole area. They'd considered who he was, and they were maybe excited by... uh, his, the potential claims of him being the Messiah. And it was something that was known and, taught, and they'd met and heard who he was. I don't know if you have, any of you have seen the, the streamed uh, filming, The Chosen, uh, which is great, by the way, but I'll not go into it just now. Uh, but it's, it, it's, uh, it's a dramatization of Jesus' life. I think you can only get it in your phones or something. I don't know. Understand technology, but um, it's really good, and it gives an insight into this part of Jesus' life. But the whole region was buzzing, and uh, it, so what we have here is really they're being asked to come to a decision about what they already know about Jesus Christ. They've heard his message, and following him means turning around and very physically for them, in a sense, changing direction and recognizing who he was. And these guys made these decisions to follow Jesus and be his disciples. It was based on his teaching, his preaching, his healing, but probably most importantly, and it doesn't really come across in the chapter, his person. There must have been something absolutely convincing about the person of Jesus Christ, inexplicably miraculous and spiritual, that they recognized him as God and his drawing love, his authority, and their willingness even at this stage to worship him. And it was very radical for them to do that. 
They left their jobs. They left their belongings. They left their home comforts. Took great courage, danger, patience, risk. But they knew the blessing of belonging and forgiveness and love and hope. And I'm not sure if it's, in many ways, it might not not be as drastic as, as it was for them, but I don't know if it's any different for us today because we're all following something. If you're not a Christian here today, you are a follower. You're following some, You're following your own particular philosophy of life. Or you're following your own... It, it might be a myriad of different things, but we're all followers of something. And uh, we're inviting you as believers, if you're not a Christian, uh, and if you are a Christian, as Christians, to remind ourselves that... Uh, we would persuade you to follow Jesus. Um, to follow the whole story of Jesus that we have. We have far more than these disciples had. We have the finished work of Jesus Christ. We have the cross that we sing about. It's a strange thing, isn't it? Singing about the death of a Jewish guy 2,000 years ago, nailed to a tree. What an odd thing to do. But yeah, that's what we do because we recognize him as dead and risen and ascended. Have you ever thought about what a strange thing it is to do? To, to, have you ever thought about inviting your, your pal for the first time and you're singing the power of the cross? What a strange thing that is to sing. What other context would you ever sing a song vaguely like that? Unless it's true. Unless it's significant. We have all, we've been persuaded by, by Jesus Christ and you need to be persuaded to follow him, to change your mind about sin and to recognize uh, the power of his character and who he is, uh, and recognize the sickness, spiritual sickness that you have. Uh, uh, dead, actually, is what the Bible says. Not just sick, but dead, spiritually. And only God himself through Christ can give you life. Will you trust yourself to follow him and turn your life towards him and repent? Um, and that's a costly step. It was a costly, it's not cheap. It was, wasn't cheap then and it certainly isn't cheap now. You'll be castigated as a fool for following Jesus to trust him. There's always risk and there's always challenge, uh, yet there's always promises and there's always belonging and there's always hope in him. And I would encourage if you're not a Christian but you're coming along because you're interested or thinking about it, speak to someone today. Someone here who's a Christian uh, and uh, ask more questions about Jesus and make a ch- recognize you will need to make a choice. You will need to make a decision to follow Jesus or not. And I believe that if you are here and you're not a Christian um, and you're here because you're searching, then I believe God is drawing you. And that's a great encouragement. So as we close, can I just leave a couple of things to consider in terms of how we want, how we seek to be like him, therefore, as believers. Uh, uh, we, we know there's many ways we can't be like him. We know he's unique. We know he's God in the flesh. But we're also empowered to live like Jesus and to know the indwelling of his spirit that enables us to uh, reflect uh, his character. A couple of things very quickly. First, by, dispe- by dispelling darkness. Um, I'm going to be a bit paradoxical what I'm saying here, but dispelling darkness. Firstly, in other words, by allowing his light uh, 
to shine into our dark hearts. Don't avoid the difficulties of Jesus' light shining into the darkness of our hearts, which will involve repentance and change. The awkwardness of Jesus' grace saying, get out of that place you're in. Move from there. Stop being so arrogant and selfish. Think about your wife. Think about your husband. Think about your colleagues. Think about how you lead. Think about how you serve. Um, Deal with the lust and the greed and the pride that nobody knows about because we're lovely on the outside. And allow him, that light, to deal with us. Uh, and that's a really challenging thing for us. And can I, at, the, at the paradoxical opposite end of this, can I ask that we be attracted to darkness ourselves as Christians because the light has shone in our hearts and we know who we are. Can we be the, those who pray, your kingdom come, your will be done? Where's that? Does it happen in here? Not really. This is a place of worship. Why do we do, what, is it the Piper statement? Why do we do worship? Or is mission more important than worship? No, really, we, we do mission because people don't worship. And we want people, we go out to reach the world because we want people to come and be worshipers. And the harder, the two hardest prayers in the world, your kingdom come, your will be done. Because so often it's about our fiefdom and it's about our will, isn't it? Well, it certainly is for me. So personally as a church, to be a people who are, who, uh, are serving, uh, are attracted to a, a lost world. Not, not judgment, self-righteous from you know, pointing the finger. Which, why, is that, why is that often the case that we've got that people in the world of that opinion of us as the church? Oh, it's all good people that go to church. They just judge everyone else. That isn't how it should be for us. We serve, we pray, we open our homes, we open our hearts, and we live as gospel community into the darkness, spiritual darkness of the world that you've placed, he's placed you in today here in, in Dundee. Think of Jesus himself. You know, Matthew and Zacchaeus and the Samaritan woman and Legion. Yeah, yeah, and also the Roman uh, governors and, and uh, Nicodemus. Just, uh, he was, he went out to all people uh, because he recognized the need. So by dispelling darkness and also by um, prioritizing his priorities. Um, teaching, preaching, Healing. So may it be that we prioritize the truth, the word, uh, molding our minds and hearts to who Jesus is through his word, the preaching, uh, being persuaded. I think preaching takes a lot of different, this isn't the only form of preaching. It's a significant one, I think, and Sunday matters. It's a big day, it's an important day, but as we, as, as we try and persuade others one-to-one as well in our lives, may it never be that what we say is irrelevant, uh, and it's just heady, but it appeals to the heart uh, and the will and the persuasion of others. And healing, healing and being healed, recognizing the importance of prayer and the, the need for all of us to know pr- miraculous healing uh, inside and also praying uh, for physical healing, uh, absolutely, but recognizing God will not always answer that request but knowing that one day there is perfect and absolute healing physically, eternally for us uh, in the new heavens and the new earth. So uh, this was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. At least just a quick shallow look at it.
Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would teach us uh, that we know so little about you, um, that we're only ever scratching the surface of your great infinite uh, being, uh, and that were we to spend eternity examining you, we would still never get to uh, the edges or the corners uh, of who you are. Uh, Help us to um, mix both uh, mystery uh, and also intimacy in our understanding and knowledge of God. God is transcendent beyond our understanding. Forgive us when we just squeeze you into a little box of our own understanding that is neat and orthodox and theologically sweet. Uh, but absolutely tiny. And forgive us uh, for uh, the times uh, that we, we fail to recognize your transcendence. Uh, or forgive us for just making you such a mate, such a buddy, that uh, we don't worship you, that we take or leave you, and that we uh, place your will way down the pecking order of our own will and of the kingdom that we are seeking to uh, manufacture in our own lives. So, Lord, help us, we pray, to see the darkness that is in us, but rejoice in the light of Jesus and the great light uh, of Jesus that forgives the great beauty and ease of the burden uh, that he asks us to carry because it's light and easy. And may Jesus be known uh, better and better to us. And we pray especially for any who might not know Jesus Christ here today that uh, they might sense your drawing power and uh, your invitation to follow him. Amen. We'll close our uh, formal worship at this point uh, and responding to God's word uh, by singing, Take my life and let it be... uh, All your purpose, Lord, for me. Consecrate my fleeting days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. And uh, we'll stand to sing together.